This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Is this a tale of two economies? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Jared Dillian, editor of the Daily Dirt Nap newsletter and newly minted MFA. Hi, Jared. Hey, how you doing? Congratulations on the additional degree. It's fantastic. Thanks. Yeah, I am. Uh, I've only heard of one other person that has both an MBA and an MFA. I think I'm only the second person to do that. So... That's amazing. Well, you might be really sort of, um, sort of predicting the future with this. I'm trying to find the right word, not foreshadowing, because we're living in it. But we're gonna we're gonna dive into AI as we've been doing all week in a moment, because that combination of the creative and the uh, and the finance may be what we all need to kind of turn ourselves into yeah. if, we're gonna, if we're gonna survive this. But before we get there, though, just wanted to kind of start start broadly with the markets um, because it's it's been interesting to watch. We asked, we started by asking, is it a tale of two economies? I think you could say the same thing about the market because we have the Dow, S&P, NASDAQ all up again, NASDAQ up 1%, but you have the Russell down, the VIX below 14, crypto's down, oil's down. What do you make of what's going on? Well, I think what's happened in the last week or two is that we've really had, for the first time, we've had a return of risk appetite. And I, I can't remember if it was Tuesday or Monday, but there was a day earlier this week where the Russell was up big and emerging markets were up big. And I said, you know, that's the first time we've seen that in a while. Um, but also, I would say going back three or four weeks with the AI stuff with um, NVIDIA and stuff like that, like I would say in the last month, you've seen a return to risk appetite that you haven't, you know, we've had this rally off the lows since October 13th, and it's been climbing a wall of worry the entire way. And it's just in the last couple of weeks that we've had something resembling speculation. Mm -hmm. So I think in sentiment terms, we flipped from bearish to bullish. Um, and I think people have picked up on that. And I think a lot of people have, you know, instinctively have said, well, oh, maybe it's time to get short. Maybe it's, you know, maybe the S&P is at a top. Maybe, you know, I think, you know, once once you flip into bullish sentiment, that sentiment can persist for a very long time. Um, so I don't think this is anywhere close to being over. Uh, right now, we, I mean, we're almost at 4,300 in the S&P, you know, so... If 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 back October thirteenth of last year, when we were at thirty five hundred, a lot of people would not have said this was possible. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this was, 
so do you, this seems to be important if sentiment shifted, but it's also, I think it'll confuse people because all we keep hearing about is heading into potentially another Fed rate hike, although the market keeps going back on and forth on that, but the Fed's certainly trying to convince us higher for longer, maybe a skip, not a pause. Everyone talking about recession, everyone worried about, you know, there's a lot of things to worry about. Is, do, is it unusual to see sentiment turn like this? How do we need to marry those two ideas? You know, I think if you said last year that the Fed was going to hike rates to 5% and openly have open discussions of hiking rates to 6% and the market would continue to rally about 23% off the lows, a lot of people would said that that's impossible. Um, you, know, it, you know, since this is the daily briefing, we should talk about what happened today. And today we had a claims number that was a little bit scary for the first time in a while. That's the main reason why stocks were up today, um, because it dials back Fed expectations a little bit. You know, one of the things I've been saying in my newsletter is that this market is absolutely starved for any dovish data that comes out. Any number that comes out that's a little bit soft, stocks rally, gold rallies, bond rally, like it's the market is just starved for dovish data. I mean, this is just a tiny data point. This is a claims number. If you think about this, the market was up 1% on a claims number. What do you think is going to happen if we have a payroll number like next month and jobs come in at 100,000, zero, negative? Like this market is going to be up 4 or 5% in a day. Yeah, so, so it's just looking for a reason to go higher. It's ignoring it's it's ignoring everything that suggests there could be any kind of that's trouble ahead, or is it seeing past it? Have we gotten past that? That's a good way of putting it. It is looking for a reason to go higher. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, because what what could you really say at this point that would make the market go down significantly? Like maybe if we had a fifty basis point rate hike, like a surprise rate hike or something like that. But I don't even think that would do it. You know, from a sentiment standpoint, I don't think that would do it. And it's and it's interesting because as it continues to go higher, everyone is feeling like, should I book those profits? This can't continue. There is a there's a it seems to be there's a skepticism about that. Yeah. And, you know, if you remember, just just go back two months ago when Silicon Valley Bank blew up. Right. And if you remember what people were talking about back then, they were saying, you know, commercial real estate is hosed. You have all this commercial real estate on regional bank balance sheets. All the regional banks are going to zero. Guess what? KRE, the regional bank ETF, is up over 20% off the lows, right? And these office REITs that people are looking at, like SL Green, which is in my portfolio for my newsletter, you know, SL Green is up about 10 or 15% off the lows. Like, and what I, one of the things I was saying at the time was, I was like, guys, like we are not going to be talking about bank failures in a month. We're just not going to be talking about this is going to pass. And it has passed, right? It has passed. And now there is a return to risk appetite. So do does it feel, you know, we have and I, you know, I don't know how much you're looking at this, but um, for those who are members, there's been a very robust conversation about liquidity, right? And so the whole lead up to this debt ceiling. And then, you know, we're just on the other side of that. There's been this liquidity 
because of the treasury draining their general account. And now that they're going to start issuing a ton of bonds, and by ton, I mean somewhere north of a trillion dollars worth of bonds, there's going to be this huge sucking sound of liquidity coming out of the market. Is that something that worries you? Or does this feel, um, you know, I earlier we talked about a little bit about it yesterday, but Stan Druckenmiller was talking and saying around NVIDIA and just saying like, listen, I don't know that this feels like a three month thing or 10 month thing. I, this feels like maybe this is a trend where we're looking at for years. Th those, you know, th that's a different dynamic than a, than a sort of temporary liquidity dynamic. Well, I, I, let me answer your first question first. So I was riding into work this morning and I had the local radio station on and every morning they do like a five or 10 minute segment with an Edward Jones guy in town. It's basically, it's kind of like the daily briefing. It's like, it's like a five minute daily briefing on like what's going on with the markets. The Edward Jones guy in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina is talking about the liquidity drain from T-bills. Okay. So this isn't going to happen. It's not going to happen. You're not going to, we're not going to issue a trillion in T-bills and spoos are going to go down 15%. Like it's not going to happen. Like I understand the dynamics of how you soak up that liquidity if you have that much bond issuance, but it's, it's not going to crash the market. Like if the Edward Jones guy in Myrtle Beach is talking about this, then it's not a thing. It's not a thing. Maybe the Edward Jones guy in Myrtle Beach watches Real Vision. If, if you're out there, give us a call because we've been talking about it. So um, so it's interesting. I, I think it was um, Cosmo the Wonder Dog uh, made a comment into the chat saying, so AI's, AI has saved the market. Does it seem like a lot of what's happening is around the enthusiasm in this segment of the market? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw a chart recently of tech outperformance versus everything else. And you had a long-term chart, like a 25-year chart, and you had a pullback last year in 2022, and you've had this monster leg up in 2023. I mean, I think if you were an optimist and you were looking at this, you would not say that this is because of duration. You are not saying that this is because of bond yields you would say that this is because of innovation and because tech has been the most innovative sector in the US economy for the last 25 years. So I I mean, I, I really think that's all it is. Like, I, I, you know, people try to explain away the, the lack of breadth in the market in terms of whatever. And it's, it's just a matter of this is a really cool technology. People are excited about it. And there, you know, there's only five or six stocks that you can play and play it with, and that's what's going on. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For now, right? For now, but we yeah. know that everyone. First of all, there is some some of it, but I think we're talking about now the more advanced generative AI because everyone, so a lot of companies have some form of AI already that they've been working with, but we know that everyone's rushing to adopt this, to look at these new technologies. Peter Diamandis was on earlier this week saying, basically, if you don't, you're going to go extinct. Um, we, we had a very interesting, we've been having our festival of learning all week. It's going to happen again. It's going to continue next week. And today I chatted with Buva 
Shakti, who is the chief ethics and culture officer at Women in AI, who's really looking at the challenges and changes and opportunities that this is going to bring to the workforce and our jobs as everyone piles in. Um, let's have a listen to that and we'll talk on the other side. That's exactly my focus on a day-to-day -day basis. It's not just ethical AI, but also cultural AI. What it means is building that cultural of ethical AI compliance, transparency, responsibility, oversight, and accountability across all team members rather than keeping it as a technical function. It is not the function of a CTO or a CIO or a CFO. Rather, it will be a daughter function to all these C-suite people, but directly reporting to the CEO, handling just privacy, innovation, and overall governance around these uh, metrics. Really interesting point about building in some of those guardrails from the design point of view and the fact that even if you're not working in an IT department, this is going to impact you. You are going to be involved in this transition, um, which may be a little more hopeful on that jobs front because there's so much worry about being replaced. That full interview and the entire Festival of Learning AI edition is on our website. If you are not already registered for that, scan the QR code, find out how you can sign up. It's free. And we have some awesome stuff coming next week, including how to invest using AI, conversation with members who are using it to scale their businesses. One of them, Dominic, was in the chat this morning talking about it helping him achieve his moonshot, which is awesome and amazing. So we can't wait to hear all those stories. And hopefully it'll be pretty useful for you all. So Jared, um, we have so, so, so many interesting comments, but I wanted to ask you when you were talking about technology and the enthusiasm around that. So yeah, right now it's limited. There may be more stocks now um, that are going to fall under the, uh, that umbrella. We know that we already see there's a lot of merger acquisition in that area. Wondering how you're feeling about some of those tech giants or their mega cap. Are they going to get in on it? Are we going to see this expand? Because we had Apple out with a VR headset this week. Um, you know, it's not just always AI. Sometimes it's going to be where AI connects to some of these other trends that have been going on. And, and then you're, you know, then then we have no idea what's going to happen, but a lot of people are really excited about that. Do you think it's going to kind of spread out or do you see it staying quite narrow? Well, I'm not a futurist. I'm not Peter, Peter Diamandis. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff. I will say I'm pretty excited about the Apple VR headset. Um, I've, I don't, obviously I haven't tried one, but I've read some of the reviews and it seems to be really terrific. Um, and I think it's going to crush Facebook. Um, and if you look sort of in the history of like, you know, Apple product launches, you know, people, people have always greeted Apple product launches with a great deal of skepticism. Like if you remember like the iPad, like everyone's like the iPad like a pad, is that like a tampon or something? Like, like what is an iPad? Like, and, and everyone said the iPhone 5 was gonna be the top of Apple forever. And, you know, everyone is all bearish about these product launches and they go on to just do incredible things. So, you know, I mean, look, like Apple is 7 point, I think 3% of the S&P 500. It's bigger than IBM was back in the 80s relative to the rest of the S&P 500, but I wouldn't short it. Yeah. 
You're so I I covered all of those launches and every single time everyone said there's no purpose for this watch these the watch everybody dissed the yeah. watch when it came out so yeah there was a long track history of getting it wrong on the flip side people think well eventually they're going to stumble so they're always looking for <laughs> when they do um, but yeah there there's 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 some pretty cool stuff happening I I guess people are just trying to decide whether it's worth investing in or not I I when we're looking at I just want to get to some of these comments so let's so we talked about tech. And then there's the rest of the market, right? Which is is holding up certainly the S and P, but people are kind of trying to figure out where we go from here. And I want to just um, throw a couple comments in here. So Colin's saying, I see a lot of people on FinTwit almost buying anything that hasn't moved year to date. Very complacent. Uh, and then Melson. So what Jared's saying is it needs the Fed needs to take policy rate to seven percent plus and sell MBS as part of QT. I don't know that you're saying that, but if we're if we're not going down and the market's going to keep going up, does that create a problem for the Fed? Uh, you know, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? And it's you know, the, right now they're in rate hike mode. They're going to be in rate hike mode until you get you'll you're. It's not just it's not just going to be one bad payroll report. It's going to have to be a few in a row. Uh, you're going to have to see the unemployment rate go at least above four and a half percent, maybe five. I mean, if you think about how dense the Fed was about inflation and how it took like 12 CPI prints for them to figure out that inflation was not transitory, they're going to be equally dense on the other side about looking for signs of weakness in the economy and pausing rate hikes or cutting rates. So it's a long ways off. Yeah. Um, it's, well, we've got uh, Jake the Beard is, is feeling a little bit, is this the last melt up before the second Great Depression? Jake, <laughs> I'm concerned out there. I'm buying stocks. I'm, I'm, I'm over here buying stocks. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when we're looking at, so if the Fed, you know, this has always been the worry, right? That they they overextend and they cause so much more damage than they would have needed to. What about what about what's happening with banks and commercial real estate? You were you just said earlier, like this is not gonna you're not gonna see this wave and wave of bank failure. So do you think we're past all that? You think the Fed's not gonna break something if they if they're kind of determined to keep going down this path? Well, if you think about if you think about like a python eating a pig. It, it takes a long time for the pig to pass through the python, okay? So there are problems in the banking sector, and they're only going to be realized after months and maybe over a year. So if you think about what happened in the financial crisis, you know, first you have like New Century that failed in the fall of 2007, and then Bear Stearns failed in March of 2008, and then Lehman failed in September of 2008, and then the market didn't bottom until March of 2009. So this whole process took like 21 months. And yeah, there's problems in the banking sector, but it doesn't mean that you're not going to get a rally, that you can't trade, that people are going to forget about it. Like it takes time for the pig to pass through the python. Mm. So you're not you're not saying there will not be any trouble. You're just saying that we're on a stretch here where this the sentiment is just going to drive this market higher, yeah, along yeah. with some some innovation coming from tech. Yeah, exactly. Uh, DD asking, do you think unemployment numbers will jump? anytime soon. 
I don't know about jump. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't really have, I don't have an answer to that question. Um, I'm not, you know, just locally, I don't see any signs of labor market weakness. We're not, we're not getting any big, scary layoff announcements out of S&P 500 companies. Like, I mean, the answer is probably not. So. Which is interesting since everyone says we're headed toward recession or maybe we're in it already. Yeah. Um, I don't think we're in a recession. Uh, I saw an interesting piece. One of my subscribers, um, who's a very smart guy, wrote up kind of like a white paper, and he talked about the fact that GDP has been printing like 2.6% when economists have expected about 1.3%, and payrolls have beaten for 14 months in a row. I mean, this is, the economy is just a lot stronger than people give it credit for, so... We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah. Um, Oliver has an interesting, it's it's more of a co- sort of an observation or question, I guess. Uh, he says, this reminds me of COVID when no one knew how long the virus would last, but they knew work from home was a given, so the stocks rocketed. Now no one is sure what to buy since macro is so confusing, but they know AI is here to stay. Therefore, buy those stocks. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, RJH, you're asking, I, I don't think, Jared, he's saying, how does he know AI will crush Facebook? He wasn't saying that. I think you were saying the headset is much better, yeah. right, Apple? yeah. Yeah. Um, have people been getting this by people, meaning hedge funds, some of the professionals, have they been getting this right this year, Jared? DD's asking, how are the hedge funds doing? Weren't they really bearish entering the year? Um, have people gotten hurt by that? And I know a lot of people have been trying to play volatility and that's been hard. Um, how, how generally, how, how do you think sentiment is in the professional realm of things? I mean, you just you just kind of named three things that have just, you know, made it really hard for hedge funds this year. I mean, first of all, like you said, everybody started off the year bearish. You know, 2023 was going to be a repeat of 2022. Um, the, it, this is, I, I saw a tweet or a headline recently that this is the worst year for active managers in a really, really long time. I don't remember how long, but like 20 years or something like that. Like it's, if you remember what 2017 was like when the only stocks that were going up were the FANG stocks. And if you didn't own FANG, then you were underperforming. This is kind of similar. And, you know, a lot of people are expecting that this is short-lived but it probably isn't. The one thing that I will say is, is that sentiment around AI has probably reached a local peak, okay? So I do think that there is gonna be a retracement or a correction in this AI trade over the next couple of weeks. But, you know, in terms of a long-term investing thesis, you know, I think it's gonna be around for years. Yeah, I think the challenge might be defining what AI is or really understanding it. In this respect, I think there's a lot of differences and we've heard people lay out the differences they see with .com, but there, was a, there wasn't a point when things got exuberant where anything with .com 
people were buying. And then you had to sort through who actually had a business strategy and who didn't. This feels different for many reasons, including the established companies that are playing here. But there runs a risk of everyone just talking about AI on their earnings call and then trying to figure out who's really using it properly and, and productively and beating out their competition. And those people who are just sort of saying that they're doing it. I think Christopher um, just brought up a great point in the chat. Wall Street will manufacture the merchandise to feed the AI, AI hunger as it does for anything popular. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I traded during the dot-com bubble and you know, you, you mentioned Stan Druckenmiller earlier and he said that he shorted $200 million worth of dot-com stocks in March of 1999. He covered two months later with a $600 million loss and all of those companies eventually went bankrupt. So if you want to talk about you know, this AI phenomenon in terms of like where it is, like, is it a bubble or not? We are very, very far from a bubble. Like this is like the top of the first inning, nobody out, nobody on base. That's amazing. That, that I heard that comment too. And first of all, I love that he shared that because that's, that's a really painful trade. Um, <laughs> but it's that it goes to that old, old uh, adage, right? That the market could be irrational longer than you can say solvent. So it wasn't that he was wrong, but it's all about the timing. But it says a lot about how you want to deal with this. If you're, ske if you're skeptical, you don't have to buy them. That's very different than shorting them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have nothing to add. That's absolutely true. I've just recently, I think he said he doesn't, he stopped shorting, I think he said. And it's like the third person. I'm not, I may be mistaken about that if anybody else heard that interview, but it's, it's like the third person that just said that recently, that they're out of the shorting game because it's so, so difficult. Like very few people are able to do that well. I, uh, you know, my newsletter <clears throat> used to be a pretty much market neutral, long, short newsletter. And I would say sometime around 18 or 19, I pretty much stopped shorting. And now it's long only with the occasional hedge, um, you know, S&P puts or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, too hard for me. I, I leave that to people who are better qualified to handle the risk. Yeah. Well, and I think handling the risk is the important part. So if you are if you are playing in that, good luck, but just be careful in this environment. Um, he, I, I also thought it was interesting that he and we've heard this again consistently, um, hardest macro environment people have seen just really, really difficult. Like they have some ideas, nobody wants to pull the trigger, everybody wants to have their ammunition dry, they think there's opportunity coming, but really hard to see through the weeds right now. Yeah, it is, it's very hard right now, but it will become easy at some point. And it'll become easy when we get into a rate cut cycle, when the data starts to deteriorate. And what you're gonna see is you're gonna see a lot of dollar weakness, you'll see commodities get strong, you'll see emerging markets get strong. And when, when the Fed is in a rate cutting mode, and it doesn't have to be you know, the whole 500 basis points, even if they cut 200 basis points, if the Fed is in a rate cutting mode, those are the easiest macro environments of all time. Like it's easy to play the front end of the curve, it's easy to play the bond market, it's easy to play gold, it's easy to play the dollar, like things just get a lot easier and that will happen someday and I'm ready for it. Mm. But you got it. You got to have some means to be ready for it. Uh, Trillion X asking, do you think it's time to come back on China for a trade since everyone is bearish China now? Well, the economist is bearish. Um, I don't I don't know much about China. I'm not a China expert. Um, I don't know much outside of just the sentiment. Um, I guess people are bearish. I don't know. It just 
I have I have never invested in anything China in my entire career, and I don't feel like I've been missing out. But you are watching Argentina right now. Is that yes. right? Yes. Yes. That's interesting. Why is that on your radar? So we mentioned, I think we talked about that a couple of daily briefings ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the potential for massive political change in Argentina. And people have people have given up on Argentina. Argentina got kicked out of the emerging markets. It's a frontier country now. It's a frontier market. Like they have inflation of 100%. The currency is in the toilet. And they basically had 100 years of economic mismanagement. And you have a guy running for president who is essentially Ron Paul. Like, if you were to just imagine if you put Ron Paul in charge of Argentina and what would happen to stocks, what would happen to the currency. Actually, the, what, he, what he plans to do, his name is Javier Malai, he plans to dollarize the economy on day one. Things will get immediately better. So you're starting to see some, you know, the price action in Argentina stocks is starting to perk up quite a bit. That is interesting. And you're right. That it was one. I'm, and, and Ralph, I probably beat you to it because Ralph is our our uh, our regular viewer who always asks about emerging markets, um, all sorts of them. But uh, that's interesting. And yet I'm not sure it's on that many people's radar because, as you say, it's been so disappointing in the past. It's kind of the poster child for what not to do in the in everybody says money or how to get money locked up in the global financial system. It's an economic basket case. It's a banana republic. Forget about it. Leave it alone. It's where trades go to die. You know, I think I think there is such a thing as people becoming too cynical in the markets. Like if you're in the markets for a really long time, you start to get too cynical. But I think there is room for a little bit of idealism in markets and optimism and hope and, and, and hope that things can turn around in some places. And some of the best investment opportunities are in places where you have a country that is economically unfree that suddenly becomes free. That's where the triple digit returns come into play. Wow, that's amazing. Nick Bundy in the in the chat pointing out ARGT is up 40% in the last 12 months. All of these things coming over, uh, co- coming probably from pretty uninvestable levels, it should be said, but that's an interesting one to watch. Um, again, not investment advice. All of emerging markets and f- specifically frontier markets come with a lot of risks. So you got to do your own homework on that, but thank you for putting that on our radar, Jared. Um, I just wanted to um, read a couple of, of comments too that they were, if I can find them, my thing keeps moving, um, but they were very very nice about congratulating you on your on your double degree, which is not easy to do. Um, I'm sure that you're. Um, so Colin says, Jared, now you have a master's. We all ex- expect a Pulitzer, a Nobel, and after Christmas you can go for the big prizes, a Nobel Prize, a Pulitzer, <laughs> and then, then try to do something really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't aspire to any of those things, but I do have another book coming out in January. So I don't know where you find the energy, Jared. That is for sure. <laughs> One last question. Um, you're watching Argentina. Does that mean that you are sort of focused down south and any thoughts on Brazil or is it the d- d- Argentina no, narrative just, in particular that you? Yeah. Just Argentina. Fantastic stuff. Well, you, none of you could tell, but Jared's actually feeling under the weather today. And we were joking that maybe every time we, we he gets uh, the daily briefing on his calendar, we may be the cause of that because he's struggled <laughs> through a couple recently. But we appreciate you pushing through and being with us, Jared. Thank you. Gave us a, a couple of great tips and things to watch um, as we 
look ahead in this blackout week um, to the big Fed meeting next week. That's going to be a big market mover. Thanks to all of you for rolling in. Again, if you haven't checked out the Festival of Learning, please do so. The conversations have been fantastic. We will be back tomorrow. It is going to be Summer Friday edition. 1 p.m. to 1.30 Eastern time. A lot of you have summer Fridays. It's been difficult. You're traveling. You're going on vacation. So we're going to try to line up with most of you. If you can't make it, especially for the regulars, we are sorry. We're going to go back to our regular time in the fall, but you can always watch it in replay. And you can join us for the other live events that we do because almost everything's live now. So we'll see you at 1 p.m. Feel free to bring your party shirts and your beverage. Uh, In the meantime, take care and good luck out there, everyone. So this is probably going to be the worst marketing message of all time, that everything you're about to learn at the Real Vision Festival of Learning, the AI edition, is going to be out of date really soon. But you need to know it anyway. That's the crazy world of AI. The speed of which it's developing is absolutely astonishing. And so is the speed it's taken the public attention and imagination, the hype cycle, and already jobs. It's a very, very big deal. I think it's one of the most important things to happen to the global global economy in my lifetime and maybe longer. But where is it all going? And the honest answer is, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. But for two weeks, we're going to have a lot of fun trying to find out. So starting from June 5th, we're going to have the AI edition of the Festival of Learning. I hope you join us for what's going to be an epic two weeks right before we launch Real Vision 2.0, where we are starting to plant the seeds towards our AI journey too. Anyway, hope to see you there. It'll be a super interesting two weeks. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. 